language and culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. My love of delicious beer and curiosity about Iceland blended together perfectly when I sat down to chat with Ole, the brewmaster at Ais Garder Brewery. While there are bigger and more well-known breweries in Iceland, I was drawn to Ais Garder for a few reasons. The first is quite personal. I was married in Ais Garder's brewery, or at least the area where they have events, in 2017, and I was fortunate to attend a beer tasting that was being held at that same event space earlier this spring. I enjoyed both immensely, and Ole was the person doing the beer tasting when I went to that earlier in the spring, as I mentioned. It was intriguing to hear all the facts that he dropped about Iceland's complicated beer history. After going to this beer tasting, I essentially knew that I wanted to reach out to Ais Garder, specifically to Ole, to see if I could get him to come on the podcast, and luckily he was totally up for it. We chatted about his role as the brewmaster there, which he dropped some surprising nuggets as well in regards to how he ended up becoming the brewmaster, the complicated history of the country when it comes to alcohol in general, but specifically beer. And Oli doesn't mention the date of when beer was officially legal again in Iceland, but it is March 1st, 1989. So that's just a fun thing to know. We also talk about how the beer culture has evolved in the country, which it's booming, so that is quite fascinating too. One really cool fact about this brewery is its name, Ais Garder, which is named after the commander of the sea, Ayr. So Garder meaning garden, so Ais Garder meaning Ayr's garden, essentially, or almost like a beer garden because... Ayr would brew the best ale and mead in the nine worlds, according to Norse mythology. He was loved and feared amongst the gods because everyone wanted to go to one of his parties in his underwater feast hall. If the gods were to act up and get into a fight while people were trying to enjoy having a good time, they could get banished forever which would suck because then you'd be missing out on these really cool horns that were in the hall that magically refilled themselves. So people essentially were on their best behavior most of the time when they were in Ayer's hall just so that they could have access to this amazing beer. So I just kind of think that's a cool fact <laughs> to add in about another reason why I was so intrigued to talk to Ole at this brewery. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview. I release a new podcast episode every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss them. Before this interview starts, I'd like to give a shout out to one of the reviewers of the podcast. Miss Bonet wrote the following on iTunes. I'm fairly new to the podcast world, but this gem is a must-have on your playlist. It is super informative and intriguing. One of my favorite parts is to hear Jewel speak the language and teach it to her listeners. Subscribe now and thank me later. Thank you, Miss Bonet, for leaving that review. As she mentioned, a core part of the show is to teach 
people Icelandic in some way. So in this interview, you'll hear Ole talk about his favorite Icelandic words, which are pretty intriguing <laughs> and, and a little strange. But in other episodes, if I don't have a person to interview, then I will teach you a specific Icelandic word or phrase and how to pronounce it. So I hope you're enjoying that aspect of learning some parts of the language, which is tied in pretty much with the culture here, because Icelandic people are so proud of their language. After the interview, if the platform you're listening to this podcast on allows you to leave a review, please do so if you haven't already. It might end up getting a shout out on the show. Go the skemtun, og shaumst flotlega. Ole, thank you for sitting down with me to chat about a topic that I'm very interested in, beer in general, but also Icelandic history regarding beer and yeah. the culture here now. No problem. So we'll just jump right into it. Yeah. I think one of the things that most people are not super aware of is Iceland's complicated history when it comes to beer and other types of alcohol. So I'm just wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit. Basically, um, you guys in the States had prohibition in like the early 1920s, what, like 1921 mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah. 2021. And what definitely not, not a lot of people know is that the legislator that was passed then is based on the Icelandic laws that precede that by oh. like 12, 13 years. Interesting. So... The suffragette movement in the States, which kind of was the one that pushed the the uh, prohibition forward, had a similar thing happen here. But, but there was a similar thing that basically happened here. So there, okay. was, a, there was a teetotal movement, and then there was uh, the uh, movement called the Good Templars. Okay. And these guys mainly consisted of like women of uh, oh, like women over the age of 35. So these women started to push basically for alcohol to be completely banned uh, because a lot of men over the age of 35 were gathering together in what was called gentlemen's clubs, right. drinking beer and alcohol. Uh, and staying probably out. other things too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, and slowly and gradually they became so fed up with it that this movement joined together with the Tetol movement starts pushing for alcohol to be banned. Okay. And the laws, law was passed, first Icelandic referendum actually in 1908, passed by 60% of the vote. Uh, and the interesting thing is as well is that the only people that could vote at that time were men over the age of 35. Interesting. Who were the yeah. only people that were allowed to go into the gentlemen's clubs. So there was probably, <laughs> probably a lot of pressure from home mm-hmm. about actually voting the correct way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So alcohol is banned. Iceland becomes the first Western country to ban alcohol completely. Uh, Actually, the first country outside of the Muslim world that bans alcohol completely. But uh, the law doesn't come into fruition until 1915. Okay. Reason being was that we were actually allowed to finish the rest of the alcohol that's left (laughs) in the country. We can't make waste things, right? (laughs) (laughs) So they gave us us a seven-year adjustment period. So the ban came into effect finally on the 1st of January uh, okay. 1915 
And they say that the 31st of December 1914 is probably one of the most interesting nights in Iceland's history. Biggest party! Basically everyone that was still drinking was out yeah. trying to get the rest of what was left before it got spilled the next day. Yeah. And the I'm curious other... about the amount of like alcohol poisoning the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably about a big percentage of the nation was probably excessively hungover at least. <laughs> Uh, and the rest of them were actually, they formed little choirs that sung hymns about the fact that the alcohol demon was leaving Iceland and the Surgeon General oh. held a big speech on the balcony of the parliament and and so it was just like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> 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 and then the law gets passed in 1915 and it didn't last more than three years until some of the alcohol starts becoming legal again. Hmm. We got the plague over here in 1918, terrible. <laughs> horrible, but it made basically doctors be able to prescribe two types of alcohol, 70% oh. uh, alcohol, which is supposed to be used to sterilize things, mm -hmm. but we just mixed it with water and drank it. Oh God, <laughs> seriously. And then, <laughs> and then brandy, Okay. because brandy is supposed to have a dampening effect on fever. Yeah. So, and, and a little bit of your chest is, you know, yeah. So a basically, cool, you know. they were prescribing. So basically, everyone got the plague in Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> I need extra for my baby. Yeah, <laughs> everyone had man flu. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the big push comes in 1922 when uh, we had big trade agreements with Spain. They were buying uh, stockfish of us. I find this really interesting. And they said that either they will uh, put uh, high import taxes on the stockfish or will we start actually taking some goods in return for some okay. of the stockfish that they're and the thing that we chose to buy from them was red and white wine which is a fascinating so, choice of, yeah well that's what that's the alcohol that they actually manufactured yeah but did they, they pressure specifically to take this alcohol? i think gave us like i think cho choice of like three three things or something okay and, and I, I i think we didn't even know what the other two were. <laughs> At least, like, at least bring in yeah, what we're familiar with. Yeah, okay. something, something that at least part of the part of the nation would know. So we actually start the state alcohol store. It starts there in 1922 to okay. start import of Spanish red he and white wine. Maybe it wasn't called back then. It wasn't yeah. called it back then. Yeah. Yeah. It, actually, when you think about it, I mean, it's wine store. Wine right? store, yeah. So that kind of makes a lot of sense. It used to be called Aufinkisch uh, Otopaksvestlundrikisins, which means okay. the alcohol and tobacco shop of the state. That, as a long, kind of very unattractive name, got shortened <laughs> to Vinpuden. <Wien> okay. <laughs> to make it kind of more appealing, probably. Yeah. And then um, that starts and was actually called just the alcohol, uh, the, the alcohol shop of the state in the beginning. Tobacco comes into it later. Okay. And then they start importing the red and white wine. They're the only ones that can sell it. But when it came over, they didn't know... They didn't. They weren't able to understand what any of the labels said. Oh. So they had to rebrand everything, and some of the things that they actually rebranded was rebottled into larger bottles, okay. and then they just mixed and matched everything that was red and then everything oh, that was yeah. white. So you'd have the one that you'd get would say just like Spanish red, and then Spanish white. That was the only thing the label would say. Yeah. And it'll it, they'd be larger than the bottles that they were importing, so they'd mix two, two or three bottles together and sell that out that to people. That is really weird. And you'd get like probably like a ration ration ticket. Okay. Everything was rationed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, hard times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's actually a saying that's derived from that. We have a saying that 
Coma sponsed for shoner, which means to look a bit Spanish. Is that when you're drinking? <laughs> yeah, <that's> basically, <laughs> oh if, you're, if you're drunk, you're looking a bit Spanish. Oh my gosh. Uh, now it means to look strange or weird. Like a foreigner. Yeah, like something that you haven't seen before. Interesting. But okay. the original meaning is that you you looked a bit Spanish because you've been drinking a Spanish red and white because that was the only legal type of alcohol. Fascinating. So being drunk is essentially like looking looking strange. Yeah. So when aliens come, they'll just happen to look like yeah. Spanish. They look a bit drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, in 1933, it gets legalized again. We hold the second referendum, we pass that referendum with 60% of the vote again. That time, women were allowed to vote, but the only thing that wasn't put into the law was beer. Okay. The main reason being uh, that we had a very strange relationship with Denmark at, at that point, and they were the ones that would be selling us the beer. Okay. And we didn't want them to have any of our money. So it was kind of like spite because yeah. Of them so basically, being... because we hated people from Denmark, we yeah. weren't allowed to drink beer. <laughs> because then beer doesn't become illegal until 1989. Wow. So the law passes in 1933, and then 56 years later, we finally get to drink beer. That's a huge grudge to be holding, and yeah, like the whole nation big, to have to be to have to suffer. Grudge. I mean, that was just the original reason. Yeah. Uh, slowly and gradually after that, it became uh, a lot about. The fact that uh, beer is low in alcohol, mm -hmm. so people were afraid that it would be a gateway drug, you know, work as a gateway drug, yeah. so it would be an easy access for people to start experimenting with something low in alcohol, and then yeah. that would be a gateway towards drinking vodka or something, I don't know. But wine couldn't be a gateway? No, no, no. Right? It's like there is no, <laughs> there's no real logic around anything. Okay. Fair enough. I, I think at least, you know, looking back at it, you can see that there's just people deciding whatever in order to... People are just finding a reason to keep it illegal. Right, basically. exactly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and the beer culture now, in terms of how it's evolved, I mean, it's obviously quite different, Yeah. which is awesome, because we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I would love to know, when did you become first interested in brewing beer? <laughs> By accident. Okay. Basically, I was, I was hired into the brewery here... Uh, originally as an actor and a, and a screenwriter for the brewery yeah because i'm okay. basically i'm trained as an actor okay and i worked as a screenwriter the guy who got the project of basically uh, getting this all started he contacted me to, to ask me to put together like a beer school oh cool so okay. i wrote a program and, a, and basically all about the history of beer in iceland and, and put it up like a you know almost like a stand-up so nice. he wanted someone that could perform it, tell it, and then engage with people in like a playful way. Yeah. Would you do a good job at it? No. I mean, I did get a chance to encounter <laughs> this a while ago, yeah. and it was really entertaining. So that's, that was kind of like a, yeah, like a beer play, a beer theater, you know? Yeah, like, okay. Like I've been doing that now since this opened. The place opened in 2015. And then the brewery comes in a little bit later. The brewery is ready and functional in 2017. It was originally supposed to be like a... The idea was that it was supposed to be like a microbrewery for Viking. Viking okay. is one of the larger manufacturers in Iceland. Yeah. That never came into fruition. So as a test, 
me and the owners, yeah. they called me and basically said, do you want to try and see if you can do something with this? Interesting. Okay. And this was August of last year. All right. So you've just literally fell into it. Yeah. Okay. When you said by accident, I was like, did he like drop some hops and barley <laughs> into a pot? And he was like, all right, that tastes good. <laughs> no, and then, and of course, I mean, when I started out here, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Okay. And how is that now? How do you feel about being? Really I mean, I'm still, I'm still learning. Yeah. Uh, and it's an experiment. Uh, you know, it's an experience, an experiment every single day because I'm always doing something new, and that's what I, I like to do. I like to push myself and expand the boundaries of basically what it is to brew. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, even though the manufacturing process is basically the same, you're doing the same thing. Right. It's not, you know, a beer isn't a beer. It's, it's a very, very different type of... I mean, I don't, I don't know how many styles there are now. They're like... Yeah, it's a lot. There's endless amounts of styles. Exactly. So, experimenting with the styles, trying something new. I'm, I'm at this point, actually, uh, I like to work with, like, local ingredients as well. Mm -hmm. And you can't really get local ingredients unless, <laughs> like, maybe once a year. Yeah. And that's this time. So, autumn time is harvest time in Iceland. That's right. when you get all the berries. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's when you get all the, you know... Maybe not... In the south this year, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> not, <laughs> not much happening in the it's south. Kind of a no. cold summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I managed to get. Uh, I contacted a bee farmer. Okay. So I managed to get some wild wild honey, some wild Icelandic honey made made. Uh, it's from we think it's from heather. So basically, yeah. the bees have been mainly in heather. Okay. So I'm making a, an autumn sour, and I'm using the. The honey and the bee comb mm -hmm. to kettle sour the beer. Nice. Because there are enzymes and and uh, lactobacillus in the like the mouth glands of mm -hmm. the of the bee. Yep. So I've got fresh bee that I've been keeping in the freezer. That's going to be going into the beer that I'm chilling down now, and that's yeah. going to be kettle souring over the weekend. So what you're saying is that you're making a medicinal beer that's going to be delicious. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. And then I'm putting black currants in it and okay. some actual heather as well. Nice. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, like if we go back to what we were discussing before I went off on a wild <laughs> one. A very that, delicious sounding <laughs> tangent though. Is that, um, you know, you, you have to be pushing the boundaries, experimenting, Doing something new. Yeah. I get very bored if I'm always just making the same beer day, yeah. in, day in and day out. And I feel like Iceland is a good place for that as well because everyone seems to be doing their own little experimental yeah. things. Whether we're, it's... we're also very open for everything new. Yeah, exactly. So that's really cool that you get to be in a position, especially that the beer culture is so vibrant right now mm. here, to kind of just like try new things, see if people like yeah. it, go back to the drawing board if you need to, but no one is expecting like you have to, you know. No, come up with yeah. the next awesome beer it's more like if you do great yeah it's good for Iceland basically. and that's what I've been I mean I've got like uh four or five like stable beers that I'll be doing again and again and again but then I'm always doing something new yeah uh, nice. and that's going to be doing like a limited release and then I make like a thousand liters I sell that off and I, then I maybe never make that beer again yeah so do you give it to local yeah it's local bars bars okay yeah. and what is your favorite type of beer it changes. Okay. <laughs> like what I'm into at this, like what I'm into now, I'm very much into sours. Okay. Uh, like low ABV sours, like four yeah. percent, like uh, Berliner Weisse, Kölsch, okay. yeah. and then with like added fruit or 
stuff like that. Right. Do you feel like it changes with the season? Because that, yeah. I feel like sour is a good like summery going into fall type of yeah, and then beer. When you're going to fall, you might be, but winter beers. I mean, it'll change because then it comes to Christmas time, and then the Christmas beers start coming yes, out. I uh, love the Christmas beers. <laughs> I've got. Um, I've got a brown ale with oranges uh, aging mm. on a bourbon cask. Yeah. It's been aging for nine months now. Nice. That sounds really good. So that's coming off of yeah. Christmas. I like the... In a, an extremely limited... <laughs> it's like, basically in my household. Yeah. So, <laughs> you and your friends. Had a few bottles. Yeah, exactly. I like that people have been doing that, though, like bourbon or scotch and mm. all these different... Yeah hard alcohols that normally like drink them on their own you have to sip but yeah. well i guess in the beer you do sip it too but maybe a little it's bigger basically, sips you're getting like wet barrels from from breweries because uh the laws for bourbon if you're making something called bourbon yeah you can only you can only dump them once and then you have to get rid of them really yeah you can't reuse that. the same cask because okay. then it's tainted with with the flavor of something else so you always have to be using a new barrel okay for your bourbon and then you age it and blah 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 and you have the same production method so once it's been dumped you have to get rid of it so there's a huge resale market with wow. with uh, casks in uh, the states and in europe and is that where you get them from is just the bourbon barrels are from the states yeah from the states, okay yeah but then i get um i can get like white wine bottle casks or yeah. red wine casks or madeira casks or scotch or something and then that's exported from the regions that I, that I, you know, want. Yeah, so it's a fascinating like, international mix that comes yeah. in with a lot of your beers. And then even some, like, I, I, I'll probably be able to sell some of the casks that I'm using to homebrewers. Mm. <laughs> so there's like another market. Yeah. So the so markets just keep going, basically. So there's like a lower market where yeah. they, they can't maybe afford to buy a big cask and import it by themselves. Right. It's not like massively expensive, but the import on it is, is very expensive. Yeah. So we usually like for the Christmas season, what we did, most of us here, is that we just got together, all of the breweries in Iceland got together and then just made one big massive order. That's awesome that yeah. you're, I mean, you have your own competition, I guess, to some degree to be like popular brewery, yeah. but that's nice that you realize that collectively it's so much smarter. Collectively we are stronger. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe the larger breweries might have, might feel the fact that there is there is bigger competition now, yeah. but there's still a very friendly ammo everywhere. Yeah. Everyone's willing to nice. pitch in and help. You can always call people, like if I need help with methods or with something, or with uh, if I need knowledge about yeast that I yeah. don't know or something, I can always call the brewers and the other brewers and they're always That's willing awesome. to help. That's awesome. I feel yeah. like that is not something most other, like in the States, for instance, I feel like it's more cutthroat about secrets. Probably, and, yeah. And, and depending I, on how big they're, like the yeah. bigger breweries, like, you know, Bigger breweries guard their right. secrets. Exactly. But the smaller breweries and the craft industry is yeah. all about artisanal methods. It's, that's true. So, you know, share and... Yeah. and Because, I mean, even though... It's like what BrewDog did, which I think is, fan, is fantastic. I mean, BrewDog has grown kind of beyond their craft beginning. Mm -hmm. They're like the big... They're one of the biggest European manufacturers now. They're absolutely and they're massive. Big, they're coming here. Yeah, they're opening up a bar here now yeah. in September. But they have something called DIY Dog, which okay. is basically just all of their recipes are open source with all no of their way. methods and everything. I didn't know that. Okay. So that's become like uh that's become like the Bible for homebrewers. That's awesome. Because you get basically all of the recipes, all of the methods, all of the mash times, everything you need. 
and it's all there and they tell you exactly how to do it. That's really cool. Because even though if you buy like their punk IPA yeah. in the in the store and you drink it at home and then you make it yourself, yeah. it's never gonna taste the nope. same. So <laughs> Yeah. It's kinda like Tesla has this open source yeah. about their electric cars, right? Like yeah. you're not gonna exactly make it the way they do because you don't no, have the resources. No. But you can see how it's done and test it out. Maybe you come up with something even better. Plus the fact, I mean, I've got a huge 10-barrel stainless steel boiler, 20-barrel stainless steel fermentation tanks. Yeah. Uh, completely closed off. It's it's completely isolated. You so can't you, replicate you, this at you'll home. You'll never be able to replicate yeah. this in a in a plastic <laughs> container in your Which kitchen. makes it sound so <laughs> enticing, right? <laughs> like home brewers, like in my plastic... <laughs> No, Buckets. but I mean, I, I do like all of the pilot brews that I do, they're done yeah. on a 30 liter ah, okay. boil and fermented in plastic. Interesting. Okay. Just to, just so I can get a sense. I know that the beer is never going to taste the same as soon as I run it through the, through the larger brewery. Yeah. But I can at least get an idea of what the beer is going to taste like and if this is the right way to go with it. Okay. So I'll so. do endless amounts of all kinds of experiments on the smaller one. Okay. On that note, yep. what is the weirdest brewing combination that you have either created or tasted? Wow. Probably some weird ones out there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, we did, um, we did a beer recently. I did a collaboration with Kex and mm. a brewery. Kex Hostel. Kex Brewing. Kex Kex Hostel and Kex Brewing are uh, not yeah, the same yeah, okay. thing anymore. Got it. But yeah, basically they started out out there. Yeah, I did a, co a collaboration with them and with a Scottish brewery called Upfront. They're in Glasgow. Okay. <laughs> and we did a, a, a an IPA with juniper branches and quake yeast. Quake yeast is like a medieval Norwegian country yeast. It's like okay. an old weird yast. Yeah. And it, it like ferments at 40 degrees Celsius. Okay. It's well. like 110 or something. <laughs> <laughs> it ferments above body temperature. Yeah. And it's, it, it's definitely one of the weirdest things I think I've ever experienced in my life. It's got really strange behavior. It's been changing constantly. The flavor profile is not the same. Uh, like every time you taste it, every time I open up a new keg, something different has happened. It's changed. Interesting. Okay. So it just keeps evolving. It's like the yeast just never dies. It's just continuously working because <laughs> you can survive under almost any temperature. Was it getting stronger and stronger? Or no, 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 no. It it's was just, just yeah, it's just flavor, flavor keeps profile evolving. Was just, yeah. Things, yeah. Okay. And then one of the weirdest things I tasted, I tasted a cucumber saison. I'm sorry, I don't. No. My was, brain does not compute cucumber and beer. <laughs> I like cucumber and water, but yeah. not with the other ingredients yeah. involved. Yeah. And then I'm actually in collaboration with a big um, big greenhouse manufacturer here. I'm doing tomato beer. Okay, with Friedheimer. Friedheimer, yeah. yeah. That still sounds really strange. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not sure. I'm curious, though. Even though I would try the cucumber beer, even though my hesitation yeah. is there. But yeah, it's just out of curiosity. Yeah. Maybe not a full glass. But, mm. Okay. Tomato beer, so we should be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Definitely. Might be the Definitely. next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any type of beer that Icelandic people seem to drink the most? Lagers. Lagers. It's yeah. easy, yeah. readily available. I mean, lagers weren't 
like the first ale, the first commercially manufactured ale was made in Iceland in 2007. Okay. So before that, it was just lagers. And I think like still probably 90% of the market is just lagers. Most okay. of most people just 90%. drink lagers. Okay. Just because that's what they know and it's easy. And... Yeah, yeah. And it's like, but it's like that almost anywhere. Lagers are always the predominant thing in the market. Yeah. Like if you go, even though if you go to, go to places like, Belgium that have like a massive brewing history. I think still like 70% of the market there is just wow. pale lagers. Okay. If I live in Belgium, I have more like Trappist. Exactly. But still, <laughs> if, you, ale, if, you, yeah. if you look at the biggest manufacturers in Belgium, you look at Stella Artois, which is like, yeah. they're absolutely humongous. Yeah. And they're, uh, if you do Stella export, you're, you're, you're doing you're a, doing well. yeah, well, you're doing a Belgian lager. Today, there are a decent amount of small craft breweries in mm -hmm. Iceland, as you mentioned, and the variety of beers is amazing. When did the small craft brewery scene take off here? I think it's like in the last two years. Last two years? It's been that recent. Because yeah. I, I moved here in the last couple of years. Yeah. And so when I came, I was like, wow, there's so much happening. But I guess I was coming at the You're actually time. coming at the time when everything's exploding. Okay. Like, if you look at the... Kex Festival, which is like the the international beer festival yep. in Iceland, it's like the only like, like the only major like international beer festival that's here. You'll be getting like two years ago there were nine Icelandic breweries. This year, twenty six. What? So in two years, it's oh gone from nine God. to twenty six. That's intense. Yeah, but there's a lot of like smaller. Yeah. Um, it's like even like brewery projects. They're not actual breweries. Okay. So they're doing like little tests and pilots and stuff like that okay. and there's a few gypsy breweries as well yeah that's fascinating though to grow that much yeah in such a short period of time do you think it's going to continue to grow probably uh, i mean i'm just hoping that it'll sustain itself okay because a lot of the breweries that have been opening are small like small uh, like restaurant breweries mm, they're like okay. almost like brew pubs but there uh, might be like a hotel and a restaurant and they'll have a brewery inside and they'll be serving their community. Right. So they're, they're, uh, the best thing is that these are actually situated all over the country. There's, they're not just in Reykjavik. Yeah. Okay. Which is amazing. Is and I'm nice, hoping yeah. that this will sustain itself and that they'll be able to continue to serve their, their communities. About the market and about whether it's going to continue to grow. I think, we're, I mean, Iceland is such a small market. There's only like 350,000 people that live here. So 26 breweries is a pretty massive thing to yes. be serving such a small market. Yeah. Unless you're having, like, having these big festivals yeah, and yeah. stuff that people yeah. are going to come to more regularly or yeah. having beer tours more regularly. Yeah. But that's what a lot of the breweries have been doing. They've been putting up, uh, like, tap rooms and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Why do you think beer and other types of alcohol are so heavily taxed here? They tend to be the, the kind of growing trend in Iceland seems to be that uh, they're actually they're taxing things that are bad for you. Okay. And it's an easy thing to for the for the state to be getting more and more income. Mm -hmm. Because almost no matter how much you raise the alcohol tax we're still going to buy it. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because so, foreigners come here and they're just like, holy crap. Yeah, but that's so expensive. That's also, I think, the manufacturers. Yeah, okay. The manufacturers and the bars are putting 
at some point they're just putting ridiculous yeah. uh, rates on top of their beer. Okay. I mean, I'm still selling a large beer here for a thousand, and I'm still making. Wow. I'm still making money of it. Okay. Because I, I think at one point someone and myself, we came up with this totally, there's no, you know, backing in terms of research or asking anybody. <laughs> we were like, maybe because there are so many months where it's winter and it's dark. And if people have easy access to mm -hmm. alcohol that's cheap, then they could potentially be, be more alcoholics in the country or something like that. So we're just coming up with scenarios like, yeah. maybe this is it. And they're trying in their little way to like keep people from buying too much alcohol. But I don't no, know if that was necessarily think, the case. There, I mean, there's a... In like the, the Nordic countries as well, it's, it's just like uh, the, there is a trend to actually tax things that are proven to be bad for you. Yeah. I mean, we have a sugar tax, we have a very high tobacco tax, yeah. we have a high alcohol tax, we have high tax income on, uh, the high tax state income on things that are potentially bad for you. So yeah. I think that's the main reason why, they, why they're doing it and because it's, it's uh, like on tobacco, it's been used as a deterrent and it's actually worked. Yeah. Cigarettes here are so amazingly expensive. Yeah. But people do buy the tobacco that they put in their, under their lip and yeah, stuff, which yeah. is really odd to me. I'd actually never really seen that until I came to Iceland. And I was like, what the hell are they doing? So, uh, it used to be originally, it used to be called, uh, it used to be snus, which is made in Sweden. Okay. And it comes in these little pouches and you stick it up, up uh, there and this stuff. And then they... Yeah. They banned fine grain tobacco, so anything that goes up your nose or in your lip would became illegal. Okay. Except for the Icelandic nose tobacco. Really? For some odd Strange reason. Strange reason, yeah. So people just started putting that in their lip and, and up their nose. So that's basically what everyone... Lovely. So if you see people with that in their lip, it's just because they... It's the only thing we have access to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put something there, I yeah, guess, exactly. right? So. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop it. I'm gonna... <laughs> and it smells kind of odd. It smells well. like horse shit. Yeah, totally off topic, but <laughs> stay away from it if you can, people. So, <laughs> if there was only one Icelandic beer that you could recommend that people taste, what would that be? I mean, uh... A specific beer. I mean, I, I, I'd always say, come taste my beer, people. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my beer is not even accessible in that, that many places. So it's not like I, I'm, I'm not in the state alcohol store and I'm not even sure if I'm going to be going there. I mean, a lot of breweries are doing some fantastic stuff. And I you say. showcase some of them here. Yeah, I've got, I mean, Iceland. I've got, um, the reason why I showcase them here is I have the people that are gypsy brewing for me here. Ah, okay. I have them on tap here as well. So Lady Brewery, Kex. Which is a female, female yeah, Lady Brewery. Yeah, female, female. Uh, all female brewery. Nice. And yeah, so I mean, I'd say if you're coming to Iceland, go to the craft bars and buy like the local small scale Pro, uh, production because that's what's that's what's interesting yeah and a beer is not a beer right don't just drink lagers yep true indeed all right last question yep. the best question is what is your favorite icelandic word or phrase <laughs> um and what does that mean nipple <laughs> I was not expecting that. But please say it slower, please. <laughs> so random. It was, it was it was voted the uh, the the ugliest word in the Icelandic language. Geir varta. Geir 
Varta. Yeah. Yeah. Varta means warts. Oh yeah. no! Cave. It's an it's an old word for for uh, circle. Okay. So it's circular warts. Oh basically. no, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. So you have this cute thing that says nipple, but we have, <laughs> cir- we have circular circular wart. wart that women keep having uh, on their chest here. That is, or people yeah. in general have on their chest. That is so sad. Gervarta, knus. I love that as well. Yeah, that's a good one. Hug. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few really... Ljósmóðir, actually. That's a... Yeah. I love that word. A, um, it's a midwife. Midwife, yeah. yeah. But it means a light mother. Yeah, that's really... Mother, I think that's Mother awesome of too. light. Yeah. Well, the baby, when it's coming out, it's seeing the light. Right? Exactly. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, nipple and midwife. <laughs> Are you two <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily together. No. But... No, no, no. <laughs> the circular wart the midwife. The circular wart, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't mix those words up. No. <laughs> but thank you yep. for this awesome interview. Cool. Thank you. Yeah.